Welcome to episode five of Shine, a podcast by Star. And in this episode, it's a very special one. We're talking about the human machine interface in cars. And to join us to illuminate this discussion, we have two very special guests from Mercedes Benz. So the first guest is Nils Shans, who is currently the head of user interaction voice control at Mercedes-Benz. And then we're also joined by Mihai Antonescu, who is a product manager within that team. And specifically, the reason why Niels and Mihai are joining us on the show is that they are responsible for or working on the Hey Mercedes voice assistant. Now, to facilitate this discussion, we also welcome Wolfgang Klein, who is a design director at Star with specific expertise within the automotive area. So we're going to jump into that discussion in a second. But before that, if you would like to learn anything else about Star's automotive tech capabilities, then just send an email to automotive at star.global. That's automotive at star.global. But with that, let's jump straight into the discussion. And the first voice you will hear will be that of Wolfgang. All right, folks. So let's kick this off. Today's conversation is about uh, car HMI and voice interaction inside cars. My name is Wolfgang. I work for a star and I'm here online with uh, Niels and Mihai from Mercedes. Hey, folks. Hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. Pretty good, pretty good. Nice to meet you as well. All right. So I'd say we just introduce ourselves real quick, giving the audience our name, title, and background, and I can just uh, kick that off. So my name is Wolfgang, Wolfgang Klein. I work for STAR as a design director. I've been with the company for five years, working in multiple fields, including car HMI and AI for cars. My background is in communications design and interactions, and pretty early on, I sort of decided to specialize in robotics and AI because it was a weird field that attracted me, and I've been enjoying that ever since. So maybe, Niels, you want to go next? Yeah, sure. My name is Niels. I'm working uh, with my teams on the Mercedes-Benz user experience, in short, MBUX, so, which is our central brain of the Mercedes-Benz cars. And more specifically, I am a global lead for our voice assistant, Hey Mercedes, and I'm located in our R&D headquarter here in Stuttgart, Germany. And I'm Mihai. I'm a product manager here in North America for the Hey Mercedes Voice Assistant, and I'm in charge for development and operation of the assistant in North America. Cool. Thank you, folks. So those are the core data about the three people in this conversation. And uh, we agreed that in order to shake it up a little bit, we add this little left-wheeled question to our introduction, and that is, which famous actor do you like because of their voice? Mihai, why don't you go first? I'm not sure if he's an actor, but I really like Sir David Attenborough. His voice is like pretty, pretty epic. So I would definitely like to hear that uh, more often. He's an interesting character, right? Because he's certainly not a trained voice actor, but I know, yeah. at least in the English-speaking sphere, he is just being associated with being out there on adventures, yeah. relaying complex stuff to you. It's pretty crazy. He actually just started a new Instagram account and he basically blew every record that existed 
but a couple posts. So wow, I guess more content from him is is needed from people. Mm, that sounds really cool. Niels, how about you? Yeah, I have uh, two young daughters, and recently I had to watch a lot of Ice Age. And there is this character called uh, Sid. I think it's oh, a, yeah. a, a kind of a sloth. So, and uh, I like this one. So it's the voice is from in German language. It's from German comedian called Otto. Very very funny. And uh, Sid is a great character. You know, uh, friendly, great nature, caring about the others. Very funny. So I like this one. <laughs> yeah, he's a, the comic relief sloth in. Uh... And then he falls off cliffs. He's trying to collect nuts and all sorts of things go wrong. Yes. Yeah, kids <laughs> love that. It's interesting you mentioned Sid because he probably has a different voice in the original version, right? And Otto Black is the comedian who dubs him in German. He's just such a prominent figure. And the interesting thing is that you do know that it's Otto, the guy, but at the same time, it's the character Sid. And I think it's there's an interesting duality. It perfectly here. fits mm. uh, to yeah. sit, so perfectly. Cool. <laughs> yeah, then I'll go last, and this sort of fits in with the dubbing I just brought up. So I would like to mention Cary Grant, if you still know him. So he's an actor from the 50s or so, American actor. And his original name is actually Archibald Leach, so he doesn't sound, you know, as sexy if you talk about him that way. But he was sort of this style icon, maybe a sex icon, an authority in film noir. He worked with Alfred Hitchcock. And I'm German myself, so I only knew his uh, German voice. And then recently, I watched the original version with him for the first time, and I realized he has this really interesting diction. So he does pronounce things, you know, you would expect from a fully trained actor. And I think it's really cool that with, I think he pronounces the R's in sort of a, an offish way, at least for me. And I think it's really interesting that mm. just like David Attenborough, you know, not being trained, not being a perfect speaker you can become so successful and, you know, kind of add your personality to the voice. So that's why, why I brought him up. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Now, this is really good stuff. And now let's maybe zero in a bit more about, you know, what we do besides listening to famous voice actors. So could you guys maybe just tell a little bit about your job and what you like the most about it? So, Niels, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, sure. As I said, together with the teams, we are responsible for our uh, Mercedes-Benz uh, user experience. So we are creating basically the UX in our cars. And uh, what I like a lot is that we have R&D teams around the globe. So basically in Japan, in Korea, in China, in the US, and uh, we are co-developing it to make sure that it's kind of fitting best uh, for all the different regions in all different languages. And I'm pretty much enjoying this one. At the same time, of course, then creating such a customer-facing product, right, uh, which is used uh, on a daily basis by millions of customers where you get uh, always direct feedback and you can iterate, you can build, build on top of that. That's pretty much what I enjoy. And especially in these times to see that still we collaborate as one global team and have some kind of success uh, makes me proud. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's a complex topic to begin with and it becomes even more complex, you know, because of new technologies, new ways of working. Yeah. So that sounds really exciting. Yeah, how about you? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, I am responsible for developing and operating the Hey Mercedes Assistant in North America. And we have a, a big team here that is basically taking the Assistant and localizing it for the market, uh, making it work perfectly in US English, Canadian French, Mexican Spanish, and adapting a lot of the use cases to what the market has and needs. Specifically, what we found out pretty early is that, you know, different markets have slightly different needs and we have to be, you know, flexible and manage to adapt the assistant in such a way that, you know, 
we kind of cater to what the problem is for those specific customers. A generic solution will just simply not work if you just want to deploy it everywhere. And what I like most about my job is the fact that I have the opportunity to uh, have an impact in an, you know, an old industry, let's say. Automotive has been around for like quite some time, but with like with disruption. So bringing in voice technologies and, you know, the MBUX system, like Niels mentioned, is definitely disrupting the industry is, you know, bringing new things to it and, you know, being at the center of it and, you know, a, a driving force behind is definitely exciting. And I, I do enjoy that very much. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally relate to that because I'm sort of a veteran design consultant, you know, so I would always be brought in to shake things up a little, just like you. And what I really enjoy about that is that you have this diversity in your field and you can carry some learnings from one field to another and make these cross mm -hmm. pollinations, if you will. My background is in design, right? So, and what I really enjoy about my job these days, aside from the diversity and being brought in on innovative projects is that design has obviously shifted its meaning over the last years, right? So when I started off studying, I might just as well have turned out to be a graphic designer, but then design thinking happened. We're being brought in on much more complex discussions. And that has, or I've witnessed that, you know, since the beginning of my career, so like 10, 12 years ago. But what I'm noticing now is that writing and poetic mindset are also becoming more important. But that's not only because designers also do copywriting and we have to build rationales for our consulting. It's also because of voice, you know, and the way in which you try to emotionalize certain topics and insert that as well. So I'm really happy about that. And I think that's also what fascinates me so much about voice, you know, how emotional it is. And yeah, Mihai, I guess, you know, when you work on these adjustments for voice interaction for the different markets is probably not as easy as just picking a different voice, like with the sloth and autobike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wish it would be that easy, but <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I definitely agree. I think now we, we are looking at design a bit more carefully and not just from a graphical perspective. And as you said, the whole industry changed. We were looking, we're starting with the problem and then uh, thinking about design and it's like a whole feedback loop system that we don't stop till we get to the best solution possible for that point in time. That's also what makes it so challenging, right? Niels, I understand that you have, you know, the, the whole overview over the field of HMI and then all of the different, different touch points within there. I think the innovation process very often consists of just bringing things together that were considered to be separate beforehand. And then all of a sudden, you know, you open the door and then all sorts of things start happening. Yeah. Right. That probably rings a bell, right? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. All right, folks, then let's move on and discuss our main topics for today. So we're going to discuss HMI in cars and later on within HMI, also talk about voice or more specifically. And just to give an audience, just to give the audience an overview of those fields, could you guys just talk about how you see car HMI today. So those could be comments about the overall status, the challenges, the processes. Mihai, what do you think? So it's very promising. I have to say, it, <laughs> if we look at the progress for the last five years, I mean, the whole industry is getting a big overhaul. And we have, you know, some great examples out there in the industry, some great user interfaces. I mean, MBUX, I'm, I'm very happy to be working on it. Definitely when we brought it up, 
to the market. It, people felt like, you know, it's a step up. It's, it's no longer just an incremental upgrade, but it's like definitely a next level. We definitely had to approach things from a different perspective, right? We looked at big influencers uh, in the industry. What do people uh, basically do more? And touch has been a big focus in the last 10 years, right? Since smartphones were introduced. And also mobile UX has influenced a lot of our decisions and uh, interaction points because now people are getting more and more familiar with that. And there is a point, I mean, there's a lot of great innovations that happened uh, when it comes to, to UX that mobile brought to the table. So we had to leverage as much as possible. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if a lot of people, you know, recognize it, but actually within the car, the phone is our main competitor. Yes. And it's no longer the other brands. And whenever we think about, you know, our customers, we we not only think like, oh, they might just go buy a different brand, but we're like, no, they're going to try to do this activity or solve this problem either using their phone or our system. So we have to make our system as easy as possible for them to not even second guess it and just go and make it feel so natural that they just get in the car and then use it. And then voice, you know, has been a new trend for the last couple of years, but it's definitely shaking things up as well. And I, I feel like we're just at the beginning of things. Maybe maybe to add to Mihai's point, I mean, I think it's really also from a customer perspective, the UX becomes more and more important. So we are seeing that at Mercedes, that it's really playing a critical role also in the decision-making uh, to buy a car or which car to buy, right? Also, if we compare the two more the fields from the past where it's about the powertrain and the safety and the comfort. Yeah. We see that really the UX and also kind of the voice and the voice assistant is playing a critical role. Our customers are asking for that. Uh, they want to test the system. They want to see it. They want to experience it before buying a car. So we see it's becoming super important and uh, playing a critical role here. Yeah. I totally agree about the UX part. And I actually, I'm actually going to take this one step further and like tell a little story. So I don't own a car, but I rent a lot of cars, you know, so I see pretty much how the landscape of HMI is changing uh, by using a different brand every week, more or less. And I couldn't agree more with, with what Mihai said, you know, that I think the battle of phone versus car HMI is probably won by phones right now, but the battle for voice is still pretty open. And to, Build on what you said, Niels. Like quite recently, my wife and I, we decided, okay, are we going to buy a car or are we going to buy a cargo e-bike? And then we settled for the cargo e-bike because of the UX. You know, traffic in Munich is a nightmare. If you buy a bike, you don't have to have all of these insurances. You actually have less loss of value over time. And, you know, these are things that are, at least in the traditional mindset, secondary things in terms of mobility, right? But for us... Yeah. Unconsciously, they were key differentiators. Yeah, that's fun because we also recently bought a cargo bike, <laughs> but more because it's uh, fun for the kids and they're enjoying it a lot. We still have two cars, so <laughs> no worries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably what they love about it is that you know they they have uh, you know open sky above them. You know they have the wind yes. blowing through their hair, which they yeah. allow to do in the car. Which again is a UX thing, right? That's sure. purely experience. Right? It's part of the experience. Cool. And just one thing. I'd like to add to the whole HMI situation right now. And this is something I realized working for our client, Neo, uh, who you may be aware of. You know, they're a Chinese uh, e-vehicle startup, you know, a long time ago. Now they're a legitimate company. I sensed, you know, that one trend that I'm seeing in car HMI is that there is a greater openness towards 
detaching the visual metaphors from the mechanical legacy, right? So that's something that I also see in a lot of other projects. You know, so in the old days, you had a dial and there is, you know, a motor in the center and then you have a rotational axis and this is how your values are shown. And very often, you know, we see that in HMIs where the speedometer has to be circular. But why does it have to be circular, right? It's only because of that mechanical peculiarity. And obviously, that limitation doesn't apply to speed technologies. Yeah. And what I'm also noticing is that car makers are more and more willing to detach themselves from those historical visualizations, maybe because of people like me, you know, who kind of <laughs> cars to bikes and not cars to cars. It's actually quite impressive when you look at things and you have like a clean slate, you get just digital displays and you get voice technology. When you have to compose a product and you look at the problems that you have to solve, you can do things so differently now. And you can, you know, remove things and or make them, you know, integrate it in a very different way. And there's a lot of great examples that, that we can give for, which, you know, we introduce now in the new S class, but having a clean slate and digital displays and voice technology it's definitely a big advantage when it comes to redesigning things and rethinking how how things and also you know we we have new generations like as you said right we were kind of brought up and there are certain generations that are used to having you know uh, rotary dials and that's kind of like the, the legacy here but new generations might be like that's not necessarily the only way to do it, right? So mm. I guess the thing is you need to test your design with real customers and see their feedback. <laughs> yeah. It's fun because our CEO is always saying that uh, our UX needs to work for a five-year-old kid and at the same time for a board member of the Daimler AG. So exactly. he's always bringing that up. <laughs> and that's the challenge, right? That's the challenge. I just remembered that this is actually what Dyson set out to do in terms of the design of their entire car. You know, just pretending that the last 140 years or so of car innovation hadn't happened and innovating from scratch, but unfortunately it didn't work out. But <laughs> I did like the mission. Building a car is hard. <laughs> it's, you know, Daimler has a huge machine behind that's like, it's in just incredible experiencing it for over the last couple of years, seeing how many little things, you know, contribute to, to building a car. And I think a lot of people just, you know, underestimated that a lot of new companies just, it's not just a consumer product. That's for sure. Yeah. I think a lot of startups are learning that the hard way. Cool. Yeah, folks, we're already halfway through our time. So let's move on to the next question, but um, lots of good ideas here. So <laughs> next on, on our list is, so what do you guys think is the status of in-car voice interaction today? And again, what challenges and promises do you see? Niels, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. If you're looking at uh, just MBUX, our system, which is uh, really tailored to the in-car experience, our goal is, of course, here to offer the best at that. So it means both when the car is connected to the cloud and at the same time uh, while being offline. At the same time, we look at expanding um, our domain portfolio so that it's on pair with what customers expect from a digital and from a voice assistant, right? Mm -hmm. And overall, I mean, we see that the way you can talk to the system and how you can interact with the system is becoming more and more natural. So giving one example, we recently launched um, our second generation of MBUX in the new S-Class. So a couple of days ago, we had the world premiere of the S-Class, where we put a lot of effort in making the whole experience more natural. So for the very first time, for instance, you can 
talk to the system in the front as well as in the rear. So basically, we have microphones on all seats. You can even talk to the system without uh, pushing the push to talk button or uh, saying a wake up word command. Uh, the system is understanding different commands. At the same time, after you had a conversation, you can just add more and more commands or so really having kind of a natural conversation uh, with the system. And if you look back where we are coming from, this is amazing, right? So uh, step forward. It's really cool. And let me just add something to that. So I think it makes a lot of sense to make it more natural, right? One thing that I'm realizing, you know, playing around with all of these cars is that becoming more natural in the action, in the interaction, actually also adds a new potential pitfall to the experience. Because, you know, when it feels so natural to talk to the car, people expect that it's just as smart as a human being. Right. So I think the expectation management is really, really difficult there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to add to the topic, right, each customer has a set of problems at any point in time that they want to solve. And, you know, as voice systems become more and more common in our daily lives, you're going to be interacting with multiple voice systems, not just with one. And there's been a lot of talks, uh, you know, in, in recent years where there's studies suggesting that, you know, people might prefer just to have one assistant. But let's think about, are, are we just interacting with one person in our lives? Is that such a problem? I think currently the, the biggest problem is the, the gap between, you know, capabilities and different assistants and that each company has had their own philosophy up until now and like, okay, what, what is important? And it was also a big technological, you know, challenge to, to solve everything. But now, you know, with the additional clouds, things are getting easier, advancements in LU, a lot of companies that have great products out there mm -hmm. that we can partner with. And customers actually are getting more and more used to interacting with multiple assistants. We believe in the future with multiple assistants because we are naturally trained to interact with multiple people as well. And yeah. I cannot see a reason why, you know, and this, a voice assistant cannot just be treated as the same way as, you know, other, other people I interact with. That being said, you know, there are challenges in cars that, you know, other assistants don't have. If you talk about road noise or multiple people talking in a very small space, those are things that are very specific to automotive voice assistants and things that we have to overcome. That's definitely uh, doable. That makes perfect sense. And I really like your point about, you know, diversifying our voice assistants, because if you play with that metaphor compared to actual human beings, you know, just imagine you had a person, you know, giving you a call and telling you, hey, I can be your plumber and I can give you medical advice and I can be your love interest and I can tell you a story, you know. So all of these promises, they are inflationary, right? So the more mm -hmm. you promise, maybe the less you trust the person with each individual item, right? So that's an interesting point. In theory, it sounds like perfect solution, right? Less interaction, mm -hmm. more action. <laughs> but probably long term, you, yeah, as you mentioned, you would either lose trust or lose interest. Yeah. And it's kind of like you lose the dynamic of the day-to-day -day interaction, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe adding here another perspective, right? So, I mean, it's also critical how we talk to assistants, right? Sometimes when I see my daughters watching me talking <laughs> to my smart speakers at home, I'm not sure if I'm a good role model, right? I mean, it's more this command-based yeah. direct uh, thing. So I think also this can play a critical role in the future, how we do that and uh, what it means then for our human behavior. Then we more and more talk to such uh, assistants.
right? So I think yeah. being polite and uh, not only giving commands is also important uh, here. Totally. I think this is actually a known problem. And I once read that in the UK, parents were actually concerned when they witnessed their kids talk to Alexa, for example, realizing that their kids assume this very, you know, imposing tone yeah. without any please and thanks. And I'm not sure what the latest status is, but apparently back then Amazon launched a polite mode for kids in the UK. I wonder if that's still alive. <laughs> but it's true, it's the same interaction channel that we use with humans in a way and in a way we might contaminate our interaction with humans through how we interact with machines, right? Yeah. It's pretty tricky. Yeah. There's a story that comes to mind. Uh, a friend of mine just had a baby, the baby was, was growing and right at a time they got a voice assistant in their homes. And before they were going to bed, they were always saying goodnight to the voice assistant up till the point where, you know, the voice assistant was not available because of internet connection Ooh. issues or something. And then the thing that happened next was like very interesting. You know, the, the kid said that the assistant is dead. Mm -hmm. Pretty serious. It was a bit of a sad moment. It's like, hey, it's not talking back to me like it used to talk. Yeah. It's funny how, you know, kids, as they grow up, they see this as part of their lives and they treat it uh, equal or similar. I, I can just imagine how influential it will be in their development, touching on, on what Neil said, like just talking, using commands, being polite, they will all contribute to their development. And I mean, that was just a very simple example, right? I mean, the internet was off. We were like, ah, yeah, okay, it's going to be back tomorrow morning because our you know, network provider, I don't know, some, some issue happened. But for them, it was like, oh, well, it's dead. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, it shows how powerful a metaphor can be, you know? So if you pretend that something is alive, you have to consider all of the possible implications, right? And if you don't do that, you can certainly scare your users. Yeah, definitely. I think we're already sort of leaning into our next question about the relationship of voice interaction to graphical user interfaces. So I think in some ways, graphical user interfaces are better than voice. Probably graphical user interfaces are not mistaken for living creatures as easily. <laughs> but maybe there are also other ways in which they are different. So what are your thoughts on that? Our view on that one is that we do not really compare them with each other. So we don't see them comparing. It's more that we see these two as complementary, right? Going yeah. hand in hand, uh, supporting each other. Of course, voice has some uh, advantages. I don't know if you do a top-level uh, search or some complex queries, I think voice is super strong. Uh, while at the same time, when you more go in depth into an application, more detailed, you need to show a lot of information. Uh, graphics, of course, has some advantages. But we think of that more that uh, both needs to go hand in hand. And in addition, of course, we um, also do not only see voice and graphics, right? There is also a gaze, a gesture, and other things which might make sense when thinking about the in-car experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see it exactly the same way. What we very often try to do in our interaction projects is that we make it clear that we want to offer these interaction channels as parallel options. You know, maybe one channel such as voice is better than pressing a button in a certain context. But all in all, what you want to do is not impose any one way for the user to achieve one goal, right? It's kind of funny how, you know, when you look at those VR concepts out there right now, 
there is never a keyboard in those visions and the people have to point all the time and I'm just imagining how unproductive <laughs> my day would be if that were the case, right? Yeah. I mean, a keyboard is more than 100 years old, but it just makes sense, right? In, in certain contexts. Yeah. And it's also depending a lot on the situation, right? Yeah. While you're using the system. I mean, it could be that you're driving super fast on the highway where uh, you want to have your hands on the wheel, eyes on the road, and then using maybe speech and uh, the voice interaction. Also, as I said, right in the S-Class, uh, how we launched it recently, I mean, uh, the VIP is also sitting in the in the rear, not driving for himself or herself and just want to experience and use the system in different ways. And so maybe touch here make more sense uh, in this case. So it's uh, always depending on the situation also. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, what do you think? How do those two compare voice and GUI? I mean, you know, at, when we started this journey, uh, we, we struggled a bit because we wanted to push voice more and more within our company, within our products. And there was also a movement out there with, you know, voice only, voice first, every company to have a voice strategy. We initially, you know, jumped on that wagon and kind of pushed the same agenda. But, you know, we, we realized like, hey, I mean, voice is cool, but it cannot just do the job alone. You know, yeah. we need to use everything else that we have available to kind of leverage the, the experience because in the end, we need to cater to the customer and provide a better product. So, you know, we switched our, our perspective pretty quickly afterwards and say like voice is important. You know, we need to have voice and it's, it's a touch point. It's one of the first touch points with our customers, but we, we need to think about the whole picture. How does, you know, the, the multiple interaction points complement each other. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And at what point, you know, you can interchangeably uh, use them. So an example will be when you start navigation, you can use voice to search. You can ask for, you know, Asian restaurants, excluding Japanese that have uh, free Wi-Fi which is a pretty complex query that normally would, would take you like forever to, to insert using touch. Yeah. But then you get a list and then that you can easily interact using the touch screen to view exactly which uh, one you would like to go to. Yeah. And there you can see multiple informations like rating and price uh, point and so on. But then after you select, you can just start the final step uh, using voice again. So you know, you have to be able to use them interchangeably. Exactly. And I like your example, particularly because it shows how voice can be non-hierarchical. You know, you can look at the home screen, if you will, or, you know, have the thing, the voice assistant in idle mode, and just utter any request that you have. You know, whereas if you wanted to do a traditional GUI, people would have to navigate through certain yeah. menu structures and... I guess that hierarchical structure makes sense for some cases, but I think voice is really great at that sort of pinpointed selective interaction, right? Maybe a question to you, Wolfgang. Mm -hmm. How is kind of like, what is the industry asking right now when, when they come to you and, and they're like, hey, we want to like innovate in voice. Are they like really looking for just for voice or are they just pushing the voice agenda or are they looking at the whole picture? Yeah, that's a good question. So... It ties into the creative process, and I kind of wanted to also respond to that because, yeah, you also mentioned earlier that, you know, initially, maybe we were all trying a little too hard to make voice work. Mm. And, you know, maybe we've taken some detours and entered some, you know, cul-de-sacs. But I think in the creative process, you sort of have to try too hard to sort of see where the breaking points of the concept are, right? Because 
you don't know how far you can go until you've been there. And I think now we've learned a lot. But uh, to go back to your second question, or to your actual question, I think we see different things. So I think, you know, chatbots and conversational UI, I'd say that's pretty standard by now, at least in terms of how I perceive our projects. But there are also projects out there, and those are the ones that I enjoy the most, where we're tasked to create a story around an entire user experience. And by story, I mean overlaying a sort of poetic, metaphorical level Mm -hmm. on top of the functional UX level. So, you know, you have a certain service that has certain capabilities and the service is very complex. So data point A, you know, influences data point B. And then we would come in and this is one specific project that I'm thinking about, you know, and then try and find a magical, fully immersive VR world we're making sense out of those interdependencies. I think it's a little little bit like games design, you know, where you have a certain gaming mechanism, you know, you have X credits and then you lose two credits if you do this and that. But the gaming mechanism alone is never sexy or immersive, right? You have to, like usually people just set things in medieval Europe because it's just such a, you know, well-known setting, but you might also turn, I don't know, an insurance provider into a space opera or whatnot. You know, so this is also something that we're, starting to see and it's it adds this new flavor to the design profession you know where we're once more allowed to be artistic but in sort of a systematic way because we have to cover all of the functional layer with like a coating of poetry on top that's really engaging yeah it's funny it's like in the past that that part that you're mentioning right now used to be done you know in in the marketing stage where Mm. You know, the product would come and then the marketing team will now create a narrative around it. And I mean, there's so many great examples and ads. I think for me, there was one moment that I can recall as it was yesterday, just joined Mercedes and the new C-Class launched and the C-Class Cabriolet, very important because it's part of the story. (laughs) So I actually got a C-Class Cabriolet right after I saw that ad. So, um, for me, it definitely convinced me. The ad goes like uh, like the following. There, there's a character and you start the journey with a character from uh, when they were born, as they're growing up. And uh, as a child, they ha- you have imaginary friends around you and you see things and you have a com- completely different perspective on life. As you grow up, uh, reality hits in and you know you, you kind of dive into your day-to-day routine and so on. And then you reach a point, you know, where you kind of like feel a lot of pressure and, and things. But then you step into a Mercedes-Benz Cabriolet, you take down the roof and the message is now you can look up again. And then as you're driving, you know, you can now see again all your imaginary friends and you can see the world in a different perspective. And it was such a powerful message, the fact that... Yeah, that's just so powerful. It inspired a lot of the work that we did. Definitely a driving force bit behind everything that we do. But yeah, customers need to experience that now when using the product. Uh, it's not just the power in the marketing side. And I think, you know, historically, they still experience that, right? But in a mechanical perspective, like through the driving feel, through the comfort, the safety that, you know, that the car brings. Now it's through the digital interfaces that we provide to them. They need to get the same feeling. Yeah, I totally agree. Niels, do you have any thoughts on that as well? I mean, I can't just agree what Mihai said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So one thing that that strikes me as surprising is, um, so 
let's just assume the car talks and moves and acts on its own accord. The three of us, you know, had a creative workshop and had to find a metaphor for that. One thing that I'm surprised by how obvious it is, and I haven't yet seen a concept or a story about that is, I mean, that's a horse, right? So think of your companion with a personality. You take care of each other. It chauffeurs you around. That used to be a horse, you know, and horses in the automotive sector obviously have a very bad reputation because they <laughs> were the guys, you know, we made superfluous. So we kind of have this uh, very strange relationship with, you know, our previous colleague or whatever you want to compare it to. But I think it makes a lot of sense, right? What do you guys think? It does, uh, definitely. I mean, what we're also seeing is that people expect more and more kind of a personalized experience, right? So it's not that they're looking for this out-of-the-box solution. They pretty much want to individualize everything and have their personalized experience where whatever they do in a car, for instance, yeah, is stored in their settings and they can experience when they take their new car and so on. So this is quite important nowadays. And uh, this is also yeah, kind of going in the direction uh, you just uh, mentioned, right? So no one wants to have the, the same horse again and again. Yeah. I mean, if you think about different markets, that horse could also be a camel or a donkey. Which is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> or a unicorn. Yeah, yeah, definitely. For the Silicon Valley, that is. That's your best option, but <laughs> totally, totally agree. I think we're already touching on the next question again. So let's just assume voice interaction became perfect. How do you guys think it would change our mobility routines, our life routines? What new metaphors would we develop for that to stay in our current conversation? I mean, it will reduce the load first. Mm -hmm. Just think about how many things you have to do uh, in a day. And if now you would be able to leverage an assistant, uh, that would just help you so much to offload a lot of the, the, the things that, you know, they're side tasks for you. I think... For me, the, my go-to scenario is that you're in a meeting, right? Then you're discussing around a topic. And now you reach a point where you agree that, okay, there needs to be a follow-up meeting that needs to include X, Y, Z people. And, you know, there's a message that we have to discuss in that meeting. And then you take a note of that, that you have to do it. But then afterwards, after the meeting, you have to actually do it. And probably you have like a huge to-do list from that uh, meeting that you would just have been now imagine, you know, voice interaction became perfect and you could just simply, you know, narrate through all of that list that you have and then, you know, the assistant can help you. And it's not just the understanding part, but it's also the fulfillment part. I think that's very important that we don't forget about it. And this could actually be something that happens in the car, right? Yeah. So if the work is automated to that degree and geared towards voice to that degree, you know, the car becomes your second office. 100%. I mean, this is one of the goals we are having to make really the whole thing more productive, help the customer to be more efficient while driving, giving somehow time back to daily routines um, our customers are having. I always think about when, when I'm commuting to work, I normally in the morning call my real assistant. Uh, her name is Christina. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, basically, I don't know, going through the schedule of the day, uh, doing some last minute changes in the calendar, things like that. And don't get me wrong. I mean, she's doing a great job, but how great would it be if really you would have a, a real digital assistant uh, helping you out with uh, such routines you have on a daily basis, right? I mean, this would be huge. And I think this is the future and this is 
yeah, where we are heading uh, into this direction we are heading, I guess. I think this makes a lot of sense. I wonder if there will still be a premium on actual humans who do the work for you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So standard is the digital assistant and the premium package is then a real one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, you know, I think it adds a certain sense of value if you know that this person is investing, you know, their their lifetime into helping you, right? Because our time on earth is finite, you know, but if you're an assistant that's replicable so many times, you know, it's a little bit like, you know, the horse, the camel and so on, and everybody wants sort of a similar offering. I think uh, there's going to be a premium on personal interactions, a little bit like, Nowadays, you have it, you know, with in-person meetings as opposed to phone calls. If somebody is visiting, you're like, wow, okay, this person has invested so much time. <laughs> so I think there will be a premium on it. I would like to see, you know, human creativity more and like used more than like the routine jobs that we do. So I wouldn't see like that person, you know, as a premium if they would do this kind of a job. But I still see definitely in the future is kind of leveraging digital assistance for your routines and then leveraging humans for the creative part. The thing that it's really hard, you know, to, I mean, if, if we are able to bring assistance to, we're at a point where we're creative, right? Then, I mean, we reached a point where you almost created life. Yeah. It's an interesting future to talk about, but I still think there's some way to, to get to that point. But it's definitely... I, my personal view is that I I wouldn't like to see, you know, the, the human assistant as a premium experience, but I still think that they're going to be there. It's just they're not going to be doing these things. They're going to be focusing more on on creative part, on the content, on making, you know, Niels's life easier, not just through scheduling and so on, but like through the whole thing. Yeah. That reminds me of what uh, Jack Ma said, you know, the Alibaba founder. And I think that's a quote from two years ago at the World Economic Forum or so. And he said, so he was asked in the face of all of these automations and AI, how should we educate our kids? And he pretty much said what he said, you know, let's train them to be the most creative force out there because this is something that machines probably won't ever be able to do. Being creative, being artistic, being wild. I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Cool. So only five minutes left. And I want to ask you guys this one question about branding because Mercedes is such a strong brand. And my question to you folks is, how do you think a voice can transport brand or communicate brand? So when it comes to branding, right, we have to think about what our brand stands for. And that's safety, luxury, and innovation. Mm -hmm. These are some core values that Mercedes had since like a long time ago. And whenever we talk about branding and experience, you have to kind of be able to notice the same values uh, in that experience as the brand communicates. So in the case of us, when we talk about Hammer Mercedes voice assistant, it needs to feel luxurious. It needs to feel, you know, that you can use it and make things a lot uh, safer and easier for you. And it's, it's innovative, right? It's a new way of interacting with the, uh, with the system. So it, the, the customers feel that, that they're being valued through that because the company is investing in, in new ways that just makes things so much easier for them. So definitely when, when thinking about transporting brand, always think about the, the brand values that you want to deliver and what your company stands for. Yeah. News, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, definitely. So, and one thing is to work for that uh, the voice assistant is reflecting the brand values. And the other thing is that really a voice AI can also support you in 
the engagement of a brand, right? So that's also a very important point to um, differentiate um, to others uh, via these brand values you're having in your product and reflected. And uh, yeah, maintain and, and support the brand identity. I think uh, this is super important. And at the same time, that's, that's the challenge uh, to make sure that at the end, it feels now in our case, like a Mercedes-Benz when sitting in there and having a conversation with the assistant, right? So what's the difference while sitting in another uh, car? But this is really the core, what we're looking for and uh, something uh, we work hard for. And I think the cool thing is that, you know, the three of us agreed that it's possible because a couple of years ago, I think people were more skeptical. But then again, just imagine, I don't know, seats got invented after voice, you know, and then we're, we know that voice interaction can transport brand. And then somebody invents a new car seat and then they're like, yeah, I know it's a seat, but how can a seat transport brand, you know, but, but it can and so can voice. Mm-hmm. Well, then we unfortunately have to wrap it up already. It's a very inspiring conversation, but as this last question of mine, I'd like to hear from you guys where I think this is going. Like, what do you think is going to happen in HMI and Bowie's over the next years? And which parts of that are you most excited about? Niels, what do you think? I find most excited the whole exponential growth we are seeing in this field, right? So it's somehow crazy if you see that uh, 10 years back, I don't know, there, Apple bought uh, Siri, then all the other players, Alexa, uh, Cortana came up. That's just 10 years ago. So it's basically mm-hmm. nothing, right? So, I mean, there will be a lot more in the next couple of years, in the next five to 10 years, uh, we will see. And uh, this is uh, just crazy. And uh, I'm looking forward to, <laughs> to seeing that, right? So this is pretty exciting, honestly. Yeah. Mia, what do you think? Yeah, definitely the exponential growth is, is one of the, the main drivers for me. I think you can go even uh, before that, you know, Mercedes introduced voice in, in, in our cars in 1990. It was very simple and it was like very primitive back then. You could only make a phone call or dial a phone number. In an S class, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And in the S class. And then, you know, 20 years later, you, you have mobile voice assistants. Then five years later, you now get smart home voice assistants. And, and then, you know, now it's like we are at the point where, where the exponential curve, it's like starting to really go up. So the next five to 10 years, we are going to see huge improvements, both, both in interaction and in understanding. But I think what we're going to see more is also uh, customer demand and expectations. So people will uh, get used to it. They will use it as they now use their phones. And they would also expect it to work as robust as you know your mobile phones work so i think it's it's on some both sides exciting on the customer side and on engineering side because you have to keep up with that demand oh yeah lots more exploration ahead of us and i think uh, like both of you said at some point voice will have found its own little niche and it's probably not what we're expecting right now <laughs> yeah definitely not a niche <laughs> yeah all right folks then we're at the end of our time I've had a really inspiring conversation with you folks. I hope uh, it's been the same for you. And thank you both a lot for you know, sharing your thoughts and for being on this podcast episode with us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you so much to Nils and Mihai for joining us for this discussion. And thank you, Wolfgang, for helping facilitate that very inspiring and exciting discussion on the future of human 
machine interfaces in cars. Remember, if you would like to learn anything else about Star's automotive tech capabilities, then just send an email to automotive at star.global. That's automotive at star.global. And finally, of course, if you have enjoyed this episode, please obviously subscribe, whether that's on Apple, Google, or Spotify. And if you're on Apple, please leave an honest review of what your thoughts are of the show. Any kind of feedback helps us improve it and make better episodes for you going forward. And with that, thank you so much for listening. Listening.